The Lush family arrived in New Zealand aboard the Barbara Gordon in 1850 and lived in Howick where Vesesimus was the first resident vicar until 1865. The stories recorded meticulously by the Reverend Lush in his journals give a great insight into the life of a cleric in the central North Island of New Zealand in the mid-19th century. Fortunately, the women of this family were well-educated and they too left their stories in letters and journals. The first lady of Yoam was Blanche Hawkins, born in Oxford, England, the seventh child of Henry and Susan Hawkins. The Hawkins family were independently wealthy and had long-standing connections with Oxford University. Blanche was 13 when her mother died of consumption. She was sent to live at Ewelm, Oxford, with her aunt, Lady Charlotte Taunton. Within four years, her father and all her siblings, except one older brother, had succumbed to consumption. Blanche continued to live with her aunt at Ewelm until she was 23, when she married Vesesimus Lush. Over the following eight years, they moved around different parishes and had a family of four children. During this time, Lady Taunton died and left her house and considerable estate to Blanche. Upon arriving in New Zealand in 1850, the Lush family settled in Howick, where a further five children were born. In 1854, when the sixth child, Martin, was just six days old, ten-year-old Charlotte, seven-year-old Mary and two-year-old Alfred all contracted scarlet fever and died within the space of nine days. Although she never took her place with the ladies of Yoam, I'd like to read you the first letter written by Charlotte when she was seven years old, probably to her uncle Alfred in England. Howick, New Zealand, 27th of December, 1851. My dear uncle, in February it was Mary's birthday and Charles's in April. It was Christmas on Thursday and in the afternoon Papa took us for a walk in the village. Mama made us a plum cake. On Wednesday we gathered some peas and Papa and Blanche and me shelled them for Christmas. Blanche could not eat the cake, for it was so rich, but I could. I remain your affectionate niece, Charlotte S. Lush. Over the next few years, Blanche and Vesesimus had three more children, Anne, called Annette, Margaret Edith, called Edith, and William Edward, called Edward. Blanny, the oldest child, took her place beside her mother and whatever servants they had in bringing up the younger sisters and brothers. She also stood beside her father in teaching Sunday school and with her mother playing music for church services. Blanny enjoyed music a great deal and notes in her own journals the many hours of practising. In 1857, when she was 14, her father recorded in his journal the following trip to Auckland from Howick. 
Shortly before dinner, the archdeacon came, according to his own appointment, to visit the parish. I went out to greet him, and he said, "'Why haven't you and Blanche gone to Auckland to be at the oratorio tonight?' I said his intention of coming here today precluded it. Then he said, "'If you don't go, I won't remain, for I have no intention of depriving Blanche of such a treat. My fixing upon this day was a mistake on my part.' As I found he was in earnest, I promised to start for town with Blanny immediately after dinner, to her infinite delight. For poor girl, she had been counting on this musical treat for the last month. We started at three o'clock. The doors of the hall opened at seven. We wanted to get in time for a cup of tea before going in, so we made the fat ponies go faster than usual. Or I should say, Blanny did, for she was ever saying, Now then, Papa! And away we broke into a gallop. And just as I was thinking my old bones were going to have to have a rest by the ponies walking, she dissipated the hope by saying, Now then again, Papa! And so off again we scampered and got to town, marvellous to say, by half past five, in good time to have tea and a rest. At half past seven, accompanied by friends, we went down to the new hall of the Mechanics Institute. We got good seats. The hall was crammed, this being the first time that the Messiah had been brought out in the colony. There were 150 in all of singers and performers, and taken as a whole, their oratorio was most successful. Blanny, dear child, was highly delighted. It was not over till half past ten. When it was time for the older boys Charles and Martin to attend school in Auckland, the two boys and Blanche moved into a house in Parnell near the Church of England Grammar School. Son Charles wrote in his diary on the 23rd of September that year, in the afternoon, Mama and Annette went to Lady Martin's and to Hunter's to give the order for our house. Was it unusual for a woman to visit the prospective builder in the 1860s? One might have thought so. Yuelm became the family's permanent home in 1865, having previously been used for family visits and when the boys were in residence for the school term. Vesesimus continued to travel about the central North Island. Later that year, when he was at home for a short time at Yuelm, he wrote of the following event. Blanny was invited to spend the evening at a Mrs Mackay's, when about seven, she said she hoped to be back by ten. When ten came, Blanche went to bed and I sat up, but hour after hour passed and no Blanny came home. When at two o'clock struck, I got alarmed, and, though I knew not where the Mackays lived, determined to go in quest of the lost damsel. Blanche directed me as well as she could, and I started. I got at last into the right neighbourhood, and I was just wondering how, in the dark, I should make out the right house, when the strains of music, polkas, attracted my attention 
and turning a corner, I came to a house brilliantly lighted up, and through the uncurtained window saw several redcoats whirling young ladies round and round, and among the number, my very sober-sided daughter. She came directly, glad to get away, for it seems she had been quite mistaken as to the nature of the invitation, expecting to spend, as she had done before, a quiet, sociable evening with Mrs. Mackay, and when she got there, she found herself in for a grand dance. However, she had enjoyed herself, which is more than I had done, though she was hardly dressed for a formal party. In 1871, the family moved together to a new family home in Thames. Lanny visited Auckland often, as several letters from her father asked her to come home, as she was sorely missed in the Sunday school, teaching the choir and playing at church. In 1875, Blanny was now 32. Her two sisters were 18 and 16. This is part of a letter Blanny wrote to her cousin Selina in England. We are all pretty well now, but have been ill for some time from measles and the effects thereof. Indeed, since February last, we have had nothing but sickness in the house, first one, then the other. Poor Annette has had to have all her beautiful curls cut quite short. Everybody is complaining of their hair coming out, and since the measles, it has been a very severe visitation all over New Zealand. Blanny went on to write, Papa works in the garden before breakfast every morning. We have a great many vegetables of our own growing. Annette takes care of the flower garden. We have been working in this this afternoon before I went to my Bible class at the Thames School, one of the government schools where the Bible is not to be read. So, by permission of the school board, I teach after hours, and sometimes a very large number attending. Papa has contrived that three government schools should be taught in this way. The following year after this letter, scarlet fever broke out again, and 16-year-old Edith Lush died. Her death was a great blow to the whole family. The Lush family stayed at Thames until 1882, when the Reverend Vesesimus was appointed the Archdeacon of the Waikato, but within a short time he moved to Auckland to be close to his doctor in Parnell. About this time, Annette had met David Ruddick, and in July of 1882 she wrote him the following letter, from Bishop's Court, Parnell. Dear Mr Ruddick, Thank you very much for your letters and the telegram. You know what sad trouble we are in, and so please forgive me if this letter is not what it ought to be. I know you would not mind my telling my mother about you, for it would not have been straightforward not to. And dear father found out and I am so glad now. We had a telegram on Saturday night telling us to come on Monday, so we came, and Martin and Carrie White came to meet us. It was such a nasty wet day which made it worse. Martin took us to the bishops, 
and both he and Miss Cowie were so kind. After tea, we went to see Papa, and though Martin had prepared us, we were shocked to find he was just able to speak. Only just. He smiled at me, and he said, So glad. And when I went in again, he said, Good night, and goodbye. Three times. When we went the next day, Mama sent me back for the bishop. When he came, he saw dear father was going, though we did not. So he commanded his soul to God and told us not to leave the house. I heard him say, Mama. So I ran for her as she just happened to be out of the room and his eyes brightened and he looked at her and then fell asleep as gently as an infant. We were all with him. My brother took us away and comforted us as well as he could. He was such a dear father. He was so kind, so indulgent, so unselfish, and we shall be so lonely now. Dear father, I'm so glad you knew him. He was such a bright, sunny temper. We never feared like other girls to talk to him, and he did love all of us children very much. The Reverend Vesesimus Lush died on the 11th of July, 1882. Blanche and the family moved back into Yoelm, where there was much to be done, as can be seen from Blanche's letter, written the year after her husband's death. January the 18th The weather is most dreadfully hot. The sun perfectly baking. This place has been sadly neglected, and the garden is in a disgraceful state. I'm trying to get it in order and have a gardener a week removing trees and clearing land of the accumulated rubbish left by tenants. It is a very pretty place. And the view of the sea and Rangatoto charming. Next season, I hope to have a small kitchen garden and to get some fruit trees planted. There are some peach trees and a quince and a pear but from not having been pruned, they are not bearing fruit as they should. I have put in a quantity of flowers, but they make no show yet. Uh, you must understand, I do not garden. I only do the looking part <laughs> and order what I wish. My two girls garden. Blanche is certainly the best. Martin likes cutting down trees but always wants a man to tidy up after him. He has but little time though, poor fellow, for his exam is in March and he is reading hard. From a letter later in the same year, I had an amusing little affair with my servant the other day. She could not get through the extra work she was engaged to do and for which she was paid higher wages. I said, I would have a woman in to do the work, but she, the servant, must take lower wages if I had a woman to pay. 
she objected, wishing to retain the pay but not the work, on which I told her to write home and tell her mother she would be home in a fortnight. I was annoyed as the girl suited me and was steady. Things went on for ten days. When she came to me and said if I would keep her, she would not only stay for the reduced wages but even take less... I only mention this as showing that if mistresses will only stand firm, they need not be imposed on in this dreadful place for servants. In 1885, Annette Lush and Reverend David Ruddock were married and left for Sydney. Years later, Blanche appeared not to have changed her views. On the eve of her 80th birthday, she wrote a very long letter to her daughter Annette, at the time living in England. I sent you some cuttings, and you will see how badly we are going on here with that hound, Mr. Seddon. I know this government is the laughing stock of all sensible people. Now his new women are being made tools of to emancipate the servants here. Tis only to get their votes, poor things. But servants are bad enough already, and if this becomes law, I don't know if I shall get any. Our paternal government takes all freedom of action from us. I suppose next they will issue a rule about dinner and breakfast hours, and what we are to eat. New Zealand is getting very bad to live in. A lovely country, but the socialist government is ruling the place. And needless to say, neither Mrs Lush or her daughters signed the Women's Suffrage Petition of 1893. For all her strictness with her servants, Blanche seemed to have a great relationship with all her children and grandchildren until she died at Yuam in 1912 at the age of 93. She was survived by Blanny, Annette and Edward, having outlived her husband, and six of her nine children. Blanny never married and ended her days at Yoelm in 1922, aged 79. Annette and David Ruddock returned to New Zealand in 1903. They had eight children, six living to adulthood, and two sons were casualties of World War I. After David Ruddock's death in 1920, the Ruddock sisters lived at Yoelm with their mother Annette, and bachelor uncle, the Reverend Edward Lush. None of Annette's eight children married. Annette died aged 80 in 1937. Annette's last daughter, living at New Elm, died in 1968. She was the third generation Blanche, the first child born at New Elm, and the last of the family to die there. She was 78 years old. The last daughter, who lived in Wellington, died the following year, and so ended the ladies of Uelm Cottage. My thanks to Jenny Kahn, cellist, Dylan Storey of Hunterway Sound, and John Webster for his valuable research assistance. I am Cathy Harrop. <laughs>